All right, so hello. Uh, welcome to another episode. Um, this episode is going to be about what I think is quite a little known period of uh, European Western civilization's history. Um, yeah, it's a really crucial period of history and I think it's not really that well known. So that's why I've decided to make this episode um, because, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's very interesting and, yeah, it's, it's a total um, essential part of Europe, Europe's history. Um, so, um, and, um, by a way of introducing it, I can say how it came about, why I decided to do this, um, why I was reminded of this subject again. It's because I was working on another book. I was reading another book and the book that I was reading, it's from the Roman, Roman times and I'm not going to say what the book is about, but this book is a classic example of um, of how Roman texts were lost and then later rediscovered. Uh, and as I said in another episode before, some texts, some some books weren't discovered. Some books were lost, are lost uh, to us forever now. Um, but this book. It's the only book on this subject that we now have that has survived from the Roman times. Um, and this book has had a massive influence on its particular area. <laughs> I won't say what it is. I won't give it away yet. It's going to be another episode. But um, when I was reading this book and I was did a bit of research into the book, like where it was rediscovered and when, it turns out it was the year uh, 1414, and it was in a place in Switzerland, in a monastery in Switzerland. Um, uh, a guy who was a archivist for the Vatican at the time um, was in Switzerland and he was looking through the manuscripts in this monastery in Switzerland. And he found one that he obviously had never come across before. And he said, oh, what is this? Um, and anyway, so then the book was copied and then it was read again and copied again and, and spread out again. So it was saved. Um, but when I was doing that bit of research, the name of the monastery where it was found is called St. Gaul. And I looked up the name St. Gaul, who is he? And it turns out he was an Irish monk. So why would a monastery in the middle of Switzerland be named after an Irish monk? And that's th just um, when I looked up who he was and that he was from Ireland, I was reminded of, um, of this period in uh, history. I had, I had read a book about it before, like over 10 years ago. And... Um, and yeah, I was reminded of that book and I was, I just re was reminded, wow, yeah, that's such a crucial <laughs> uh, period of history. And it's, it's actually, I should put aside this book that I was reading and go do that episode because, um, yeah, it might be, yeah, I just thought it was worth doing, uh, first. So, um, 
everyone knows, well, most people in the Western world will have an idea of what is involved when they hear the word the Renaissance, which happened in Italy. Um, but this episode is about another Renaissance that happened a long time before the Italian Renaissance. Um, and coincidentally, um, I've been thinking about this and I think I could refer to this, <laughs> this earlier Renaissance. And it was because of this earlier Renaissance that the later Italian Renaissance would have been, would have come about because all these, and actually this Renaissance that I'm going to be talking about is not the only Renaissance that happened before the Italian Renaissance, but it was the first wave of a Renaissance in Europe after the fall the so-called fall of the Roman Empire. I'll get into it in a bit as to why I said the so-called fall of the Roman Empire. Um, but yeah. And coincidentally, um, this Renaissance, this piece of history, this period of history, I'm going to refer to it <laughs> uh, rather um, uh, patriotically <laughs> as the, the Irish renaissance uh, because it was really the irish contribution to europe after the decline of the roman empire um, so uh so i think to start off this episode it's necessary to go back to the decline of the roman empire um, and I'm saying the word decline as opposed to saying the word the fall of the Roman Empire, because after looking into this subject now for the last month or so about the fall of the Roman Empire, I think it's really more appropriate to say the decline because a fall kind of uh, signifies something abrupt, something very quick. But I've been looking into this now for yeah, about a month, um, on and off. And the, it's, it's really a very messy affair. Like the reasons for the fall of the Roman empire is a very messy affair. Um, a lot of the historians that I was listening to actually, ha ha they're not even uh, sure themselves. They, they all kind of have their own, um, opinion on it like one guy was talking about how some historians are have a catastrophic view of how it ended which is like very abruptly and others then have a more of a gradual um, view of how the whole thing ended and yeah I, I'm going with the gradual because um, it wasn't the case that these Germanic tribes just all of a sudden somehow crossed the borders. Um, there was a particular year um, where the Rhine, the River Rhine froze. If I can get the year here now. There was a particular year where the River Rhine froze and that enabled people to just cross. There it is. The year 406. The Rhine froze solid and all of these Germanic peoples were able to come across in great numbers and there wasn't the soldiers um, spread thickly enough on the line to stop them. And 
thinly guarded lines, borders of the Roman Empire was also a problem for stopping these Germanic peoples from coming in. Um, and the reason that the soldiers were spread thinly on the borders was simply financial problems. The empire was just struggling due to bad management. Um, so they couldn't afford the soldiers just to, to have soldiers, you know, densely lining the, the borders. Um, so there's many reasons. I'm not really going to get into <laughs> the... This, this isn't about, this episode is not about the fall of the Roman Empire. That would be, oh my God, that would be many, many episodes in itself. It's very interesting. You could do a summary episode, maybe I will. But um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons that contributed to the decline of the empire, internal problems, poor management, probably corruption, and re resulting in things like not having uh, enough soldiers to defend the borders. Um and then, but also what was very interesting for me and what was new for me when I was uh, doing the research for this episode, uh, and I guess I'll just say it, this this subject of um, this, what I'm calling the Irish Renaissance, it was first introduced to me in a book that I came across um, oh, well over 10 years ago. And the book is called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Um and whoopsie just lost my train of thought there <laughs> what was i saying um all of these thoughts trying to pull it all together um i'm also doing this episode on a on a second day of being caffeine deprived <laughs> so yeah it's uh this is this was going to be a bit of a challenge uh, in two ways, definitely. Um, so what was I saying? I was talking about the, the reasons for the fall, the decline of the Roman Empire. Oh, yes, I was saying the thing that was new to me was um, a lot of the Germanic peoples who entered into the Roman territory were actually coming as immigrants, not as raiding not as raiding and just like, you know, slaughtering and destroying. They actually were coming as immigrants because there was another tribe of what, what you would call uh, barbarian people called the Huns. And they were more in the east of Europe and they were migrating into the west of Europe and they were migrating into Germanic territories and they, they were harassing and, you know, pillaging Germanic territories. So the Germanic people... We're like, dang, <laughs> we got We have to move. So a lot of them moved for that kind of reason, and so they were arriving into the Roman Empire as immigrants. Um, so that was new to me. Uh, and then, what the Roman Empire did to accommodate these, you know, peaceful immigrants um, was, and oft oftentimes they put them to work in the Roman army, um, and. There was so there was generations of Germanic peoples um, who had been Romanized to a certain degree by becoming soldiers in Roman territories. Um, but in the book I read um, about this one about how the Irish saved civilization, he was also giving examples. It's written by a guy called Thomas Cahill. It's a really great book, but. Um, he was uh, giving um, examples of how 
often the Germanic peoples in the Roman territories were terribly mistreated. And that often led to kind of revolts and outbreaks of violence from the Germanic peoples. You know, what do you expect? (laughs) Um, But there was a story, for example, like the Romans could see that the Germanic people were were like starving in their camp area, wherever they were. And the Romans came to them and would say things like, give us two of your kids so that we can use them as slaves in our society. And we'll give you this dog here and you can kill it and eat it. So, yeah, pretty, pretty rough, uh, pretty rough um, way of dealing with people. But um, anyway, so what I was saying was um, this thing arose called a federati, federati. And that was that was these... um, these uh, the incorporation of Germanic peoples into the Roman Empire. So that was just new. And also, a lot of the German people who actually came into the Roman Empire, they were already Christian. Um, they, they had been converted to a form of Christianity called Arianism. Um, that's a whole... The... Why... Um, that differs from Catholicism is a whole other podcast once again. Um, I I was thinking this episode that I'm doing, it's going to be kind of like like a tour bus of uh, this period of history because I'm going to be mentioning lots of places and people uh, and times and you could stop at any one of these people and places and and times or events and do a whole episode on each one but this episode is not about that it's about the journey from where i'm starting now to um to more or less back to the book that i was talking about at the start that was discovered in in switzerland um yeah that's what it's about um and this um irish renaissance period is the core of this episode um so yeah I, the reason i'm talking about the fall is because um obviously when the roman empire fell the roman culture was lost and what was the roman culture but it was it was Greek and Roman, um, it was a literary culture that had philosophy, it had books on on every subject, it had books on, you know, ethics and morals and how to run a society, Uh, it just, a a literate culture. Um, And when the Germanic tribes did eventually sack a city like Rome, it was... This was also very surprising. In this book that I read like, you know, 10 years ago and I reread it for this episode, um, there's a quote in it by a Germanic guy, Germanic king, who after the the last emperor of Rome was deposed in the year 476, his name was Romulus Augustus, I think he was a teenager, um, he was deposed by a Visigoth or an Ostrogoth um called Odoacker and then later this guy Odoacker was deposed actually he was killed uh by another Ostrogoth called Theodoric 
um, so Theodoric became the kind of emperor of of, a, of the kingdom of Italy, which was most of Italy and then areas. It went actually eventually over towards Spain as well. So it was quite a big kingdom he had. But he has a good quote in this book, and it really gives a good idea of the opinion and mentality of the Germanic peoples towards the Romans and the Roman Empire. Um, and the quote is, Theodoric, this Goth, says, an, an able Goth will want to be a Roman, but only a very poor Roman would want to be a Goth. So actually, the reasons why, it seems like the reasons why the Germanic people did invade eventually um, in great numbers. And uh, as I was saying at the beginning, they were coming in as immigrants and sometimes they revolted because of the bad conditions. Um, but other times they did just migrate in and uh, take over territories um, because they, they actually, it seems like they, they liked it. They liked what the Romans had. <laughs> they were like an envious people. They were like, they don't understand they didn't have a literate culture. They they had an oral culture. They passed on all their information through uh, oral stories and things. Um, but but um, yeah, it's it's like they had no real idea of how the Roman society was was organized. But yet they could see the benefits, the material benefits. Um, it just made life a lot better. Uh, probably a much more stable life. Um, but the problem is when you have someone who takes over a new territory but yet doesn't understand how that territory should work, the material benefits that were in that empire will slowly start to fall apart because the know-how uh, isn't there to uh, keep those things running. So this is what happened. So these, um, for example... Theodoric, um, who became the king, the emperor, the king of the kingdom of Italy or the Ostrogoth Empire, um, it was it was just like <laughs> it was just like how would I describe it? The Roman Empire, it it kind of kept going, but it was just in really bad management. It was just like it had terrible management, like a completely unqualified. <laughs> uh, management um so it was just there wasn't finance like you know like education wasn't been financed so people weren't getting good educations for generations after the after the the romans stopped uh, organizing the place um and like repairs were not being done um and, you know, when these people came into the the Roman territory, they, they possibly killed a lot of people in the attacks to get to take over and all this kind of stuff. So, like, the people who would have known how to do these things, the Roman people who knew how to organize these things and look after these things in the city, like the aqueducts and all this kind of stuff, or even just getting food supplies in and the management of all that kind of stuff, maybe they were killed or maybe they were banished or maybe they just lost their position. Um, so there's... Basically, the fall, the, the the decline of the Roman Empire. Yeah, it's it's worth phew, a lot of episodes. It could be a whole it could be a whole podcast series in itself easily. But anyway, I'm just giving a a, a quick 
uh, kind of a taste <laughs> of, of it, a quick glimpse of some of the reasons. Um, for example, the, the city of Rome, for something like over 200 years, had not went during the Roman Empire, had not been able to supply all of its uh, citizens with with grain from the surrounding areas just just because there was too much of a concentration of people living in Rome. So um, the Romans actually got their grain, most of their grain from North Africa, from another Roman territory in North Africa um, around Carthage, uh, what is now like Tunisia. But what happened was when these migrating Germanic peoples um, they actually sailed from Spain down to uh, North uh, North Africa, and they were the va- the Vandals. They were called. That was the name of the tribe, and that's where you get the word vandalism from. But anyway, um, so what happened was these Vandals, they um, they they sacked the city. Let's say it was that area, Algeria, and normally that's where all the grain came from for the Roman for the Romans in Rome. And so, for example, um, when Theodoric takes over um, uh, Rome, you, this this uh, this food supply from North Africa is cut off. So there's just, and then what do all those people in Rome do who don't have their their grain coming to them? So there's just loads of uh, reasons why the Roman Empire went into decline, but. I just felt it was necessary to give a little, uh, yeah, as I said, a little taste of some of the reasons why, because this episode is about something that happened next. <laughs> so basically, there was a a Roman, an ed- educated Roman, he was a statesman, and he became like a new advisor to the Germanic uh, rulers. He was this guy, he was called Cassiodorus. Um and he could see that things were in decline. Uh, and he, he, he set up a monastery. Um, but normally, and this is what's so special about him, and this is why I'm mentioning him. Normally, a monastery was just a place for Christians. And they just read the Bible or other kind of uh, Christian texts. And it was just about, yeah, reading Christian texts. But what this guy Cassiodorus did... He introduced the what you might call pagan texts like Aristotle and Plato, uh, all these other Greek and Roman writers that would have been considered uh, pagan because they were simply because they were written before Christ came into the world. Um, so the reason that he did this was. There's a thing, I mentioned it before, called the trivium. And the trivium is grammar, logic, or dialectic, and rhetoric. And this was like the classical, this was part of the the ancient classical education. If you wanted to be, you know, a, f- uh, a functioning, participating member of the Greek or Roman world, you had to first of all know the trivium. And then later on, you'd go on to the quadrivium. Um, which is geometry, uh, arithmetic, um, music, and astronomy. Um, So what Cassiodorus did was he introduced, um, as I said, these non-Christian texts, but essentially he was introducing like classical education 
as a as now as part of the monastery because the the bible was all <laughs> words and if you want to know how to study and understand words it's best if you know this art of grammar and the art of grammar was the art of reading and writing um and then to kind of be able to discuss and debate things that are in the bible it's also very good if you can uh, if you have sharpened your ability for dialectic and logic, like reasoning, clear thinking, proper arguments. Um, so that was the art of logic, also called the art of dialectic. Um, and then the third part was the was rhetoric, which was all about um, speaking to persuade people of something. So if you want to give a sermon about some aspect of christianity it's good if you know the art of uh rhetoric so so this um this uh introduction that cassiodorus made to um made to monastic culture um it was extremely important um for the future of europe um, he couldn't have known it, maybe himself, how much of an impact it would make. But as I, as I said before, all through the Middle Ages, in another episode, all through the Middle Ages, as I said before as well, um, if you're interested in Christianity, this episode might be of interest to you. Um, but if you're not that interested in Christianity, once again, you can see Christianity as the safe house and as like the the vehicle by which all of the ancient learning was was uh, passed down through the ages so that we have it as well so if you're some like an atheist or something but yet you like reading some Greek or Roman authors, you can basically thank the church for having also valued those texts uh, and by valuing them, they preserved them for us. One sec. <clears throat> so, um, so Cassiodorus is, um, he made up this monastery and they started copying these texts uh, in a scriptorium, but then apparently it didn't last too long um, it got, I think it got vandalized <laughs> or destroyed sometime after he himself, um, passed. But, um, yeah, his, his, uh, monastery was called the Vivarium. It's quite, quite a nice sounding word. But, um, so anyway, this, what he established is very important, uh, yeah, for this episode. So basically if we now go from the Roman empire, the, you know, from Rome itself, and we can see that things are degenerating in the Roman Empire. It's now in the hands, it's now being run by people who have no idea how to run it. But it's also important to say that, yeah, the the moral and social, the moral fabric of the Roman Empire had disintegrated to a certain degree. Um, there was new people in charge, but Christianity still kept going because as i said some of these tribes that came into the roman empire were already christian so the bishops of what was once the roman territory became the new advisors to um these new germanic peoples 
Um, so where should I go next? Um, so yeah, so Christianity was 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 hanging on, even though the Roman Empire uh, didn't. Let's just say right, Christianity was still hanging in there. Um, but in general, as I said, things like uh, funding for education was just not there. The management of it was just not happening. So society was in major decline. Uh, so there was a lot less, as the generations went on, there was a lot less people uh, educated in a classical kind of education. So there was major decline going on in, in the Roman Empire. So now, so <laughs> there we go. I've given a little brief overview of um, why the Roman Empire kind of declined. So now we see it, it's in a very bad way. And so now we're going to go up to uh, England. And actually, before the Roman Empire totally collapsed in 476, um, another uh, Germanic tribe did sack Rome in the year 410. He was called Alaric. Um, but then Rome was later uh, regained by the Romans. But when that happened in the year 410, um, the, the Roman Empire that was in, um, in England, England and Wales, basically all the Romans were told to just leave England and Wales because they were needed on the continent to kind of help the numbers fight off these new attacks. So... That area, England, was, you know, it was in the Roman Empire. It had the Roman culture. So the story of the patron saint of, of Ireland, St. Patrick, uh, is the next uh, phase of this story. Because this story is about like a chain of events. Um, so you have you have St. Patrick, who was born, where do I have that figure? He was born uh, in 386 so when he was apparently 16 years of age, he was kidnapped. Um, it's actually interesting. In this book, I learned that St. Patrick, his father, you know, they're Roman. His father was actually in Roman society. There was a particular job, you like a tax collector called a curialis. And it was a hereditary rule. So it was passed on generationally. Or else you could buy your way into it. If someone, if someone who was born into it wanted to sell their rights to do it, because um, it wasn't a very nice job at all. Apparently, if you didn't collect the amount of money you were supposed to collect, you had to give it yourself. So it was really, it was like the f the lowest rung on the on the kind of uh, what would you call it on the higher. Um, levels of uh, society in the Roman Empire. Uh, so some people would, you know, bitterly hate their job, but then they would rise up onto a better job after that. Um, but anyway, St. Patrick's father was actually one of these, uh, one of these um, curialis, 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 uh, curials maybe is what it is, with a C um, at the start. So anyway, Patrick was born into that. Um, but at the age of 16, he was, as I said, uh, kidnapped by Irish pirates and brought back to Ireland and sold into slavery. And so I don't know who who's listening to this, but um, probably a lot of people in Europe and the Western world might be familiar with St. Patrick because he was the patron saint of Ireland. So just very briefly, um, 
Patrick was had grown up kind of a uh, a Christian, but or a Roman, but apparently kind of an apathetic Christian, meaning not very interested in the whole Christian thing. Uh, maybe because he was just young, like <laughs> most people are when they're young. But anyway, so when he was in Ireland as a, a shepherd, that was his job. He was in the hills by himself minding sheep and he was terribly alone and he was just like, oh my God, this is the worst ever. He kind of started to remember his education into Christianity and he started praying, you know, and um, eventually he was, he was a, he was a, a shepherd for a long time. I forget now how many years, but ooh, a long time, I think. Um, but, you know, at, at least a decade, I think, um, if not more. But anyway, one night he had a dream and the dream showed him that he just needs to go to the coast because there's going to be a boat and he can get on this boat and then he'll eventually find his way back home. And so that's actually what he did. He managed to get on this boat. He convinced the the the, the pilot or whatever you call the, the guy who's um, steering the boat. Um, so anyway, he eventually, they, they left Ireland and he eventually found his way back to England. And then he went and to went to some monastery and he became an educated uh, monk and then he he just remembered his time in Ireland and how the people in Ireland at that time were were not Ireland was never romanized for some reason uh maybe i was thinking maybe just the roman empire wasn't ready <laughs> to stretch itself that much further into ireland because the roman empire was having difficulty getting into scotland because scotland was also never conquered the tribe up there was called the picts uh they stopped the roman empire um and around that period the emperor was called Hadrian and he just he just built a big wall to block them off. They were too much trouble. So he just built a big wall and it's still there now called Hadrian's Wall. But um, so in Ireland, there was a different religion altogether. The Ireland was Celtic people. And uh, actually, the religion in Ireland um, before Christianity came, it was actually the same religion as the religion from Egypt, because they were like sun worshippers. Um, and yeah, so that's quite interesting. But anyway, so so Patrick, um, he eventually felt sorry for the people of Ireland that they didn't have Christianity there. So he, I think he asked permission from a bishop or something like this. Could he go and try and preach um, Christianity to the Irish? And he was, he was allowed. I was like... But I should also say, I mean, yeah, mo a lot of people, anyone who has heard of St. Patrick, I wonder, do they know that um, he wasn't the first? It's not like he was just the first Christian ever to set foot on Ireland and and he just did an amazing job of instantly converting everyone. Actually, there was other communities, small uh, communities of Christians living in Ireland already um, because before St. Patrick ever went to Ireland, there was another guy another missionary sent from Gaul called Palladius. Uh, he was sent by a bishop in somewhere in Gaul to be the first bishop of the Christians living in Ireland. I mean, that's written down in a historical document somewhere. So if he was going there as a bishop, that means there was obviously a certain amount of Christians already there. And I was thinking, you know, it's possible that like 
people from Gaul or somewhere or even from the Roman Empire in uh, England had had to leave their lands for whatever reason. Maybe they were banished and they had to exile themselves and they went off to Ireland and they landed in Ireland and maybe they just kind of told the people, we don't want any trouble. Can we just please live here? And so maybe little communities sprung up here and there because of things like that. So then the... um, this guy Palladius came along to be their first bishop. But yeah, people don't hear too much about uh, Palladius. Um, so anyway, Patrick um, eventually came back to Ireland and he went to the kings of of certain areas in Ireland and he converted the kings first. And then once you convert the king, then all of the people within the kingdom are, are kind of obliged to become Christian. So basically, yeah, St. Patrick kind of brought Christianity to uh, Ireland and then it, it eventually took over the whole country. Um, so it's interesting that... Um, I think it would have been what year? Uh, Saint Patrick passed away in four sixty one. So as um, as Ireland is just getting <laughs> like Christianity is blossoming in Ireland, it's really taken hold. There's there's no invaders in Ireland like there is in mainland Europe. So Ireland is just more or less allowed to blossom in as a Christian uh, country. Uh, meanwhile. Back in England, for example, you have all the Romans, most of them leaving. Maybe some of them wanted to stay. I'm not so sure. As I'm saying, that's an episode in itself. (laughs) But um, so meanwhile, back in the Roman Empire, things are starting to fall apart. Um, Let's just say it's around 430, you could say, when St. Patrick is doing his thing in Ireland. And then only, what, 47 years later, the last emperor of Rome would be gone. So as Christianity is uh, picking up in Ireland, the Roman Empire is going downhill. And so this is, this is, um, this is, yeah, essential to this, to this story. Um, I should also say when um, the Roman Empire started to be in real decline, um, especially after the year 476, People from as far as Egypt, like Roman uh, Christians from as far as Egypt and every other place in the empire had somehow heard about Ireland, that it's a it's a Christian place. And the same uh, like Germanic attacks are not happening in that place. So a lot of, you know, really educated Christians left their places and went to Ireland just as a place of refuge. And so they brought not only did they bring, you know, Christian texts with them? But because of the influence of Cassiodorus, uh, and Cassiodorus actually wrote an uh, influential book about, basically about how to be a Christian, and then also about why the trivium and the liberal arts are essential for being a Christian too. So this was an influential book, and that got spread around, and that's why monasteries in Europe uh, started not started uh, incorporating the pagan texts that that's you know <laughs> that we are interested in aristotle plato all these kind of guys um so yeah it's because of him as i said that monasteries started um talking about these pagan and appreciating these pagan texts as well so a lot of when all these people from like i'm saying egypt and all these other places went to ireland in refuge they brought a lot of books with them 
And these same books on the continent were being burnt and being lost. So a lot of these books may have been lost forever uh, if these people hadn't have brought them back to Ireland. Um, so Ireland was like really flourishing in in and classical texts and and and, and Christianity. Um, so here we are. Ireland is flourishing. The Roman Empire is falling in England, and now the Anglo Anglo Saxons are now invading England, and so now even England itself is, has become a kind of Germanic uh, place. So the next stage is uh, after Ireland has like generations of Christians. Um, they one of them. The first one to be a missionary to a place outside of Ireland was a guy called uh, uh, Columba. Uh, that's the Romanized version of his name. He was known as Column Kill um, in Irish. And I think that means the, the dove of the church. Um, his story is he was actually banished. Once again, Column Kill, there could be a whole episode on him. But anyway, um, Column Kill was banished from Ireland uh, all because of a manuscript that he loved. It was a really nicely decorated manuscript. I think it was a book of Psalms from the Bible and it belonged to someone else. And basically one day he took it um, and it was found out what happened. And later on, long story short, he it was discovered and he got banished from Ireland. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, as I said, um, even just the type of Christianity and the Christian culture within Ireland um, deserves like an episode as well itself because um, <laughs> there's this. Um, I, I came across this. I don't know how long ago, a few months ago or something, but there was this phenomenon in Ireland known as inter-monastic warfare. I mean, different m monasteries, I don't know, you know, a monastery in one area and then 20 miles away or something, there's another monastery and they're actually having wars, like battles, <laughs> like crazy. Um, so that deserves, I think, uh, some an episode as well. Anyway, so back to this guy, Column Kill. So he was banished and he, he went from... Um, the north coast of Ireland to the islands on the west coast of Scotland. Um, and the island he chose was called Iona. And he set up a monastery there with some of his followers. And eventually, because of his monastery, he was, um, he was responsible for Christianizing the Picts in Scotland because Scotland had never been conquered by Rome, so it wasn't Christian. But Column Kill went there with his followers and they eventually Christianized Scotland. Um, and then some generations later, they they went around um, or maybe through England or Scotland to the other side of um, northern England and they set up um, a monastery on a little island off the coast of um uh, England of off the coast of northern England and that island island monastery was called Lindisfarne and Lindisfarne is is very famous um because 
the the book of Kells that I mentioned in another episode that I did. Um, I mean, it's just an absolutely amazingly beautiful manuscript. Um, but that same kind of uh, style was being done on Lindisfarne. So Lindisfarne is also very famous for uh, that type of art in uh, Christian texts. Um, so basically, hold on a sec, get another drink. So here's the next chain. So you have the Irish Columkill um, going to the island in Scotland, and then he, he Christianizes all of Scotland and so also brings not just Christianity, but but brings the classics, brings like, you know, knowledge, books about the trivium and philo philosophical texts, all this kind of stuff uh, into Scotland as well. And then that is brought then to uh, Lindisfarne. And then from Lindisfarne, missionaries go from there back into uh, England. And then England is kind of like a is kind of helped out to um, re-Christianize and re uh, what, what would you say? Re-classific? Uh, <laughs> re, uh, um, to reacquaint itself with the classics. So, um, and then you have some short time after Column Kill did that, you have another missionary. Let me just see how, how I'm going for, for time here. How long have I been doing... Yeah, 44 minutes, that's good. So then you have um, another very famous Irish missionary um, called um, Columbanus. Uh, Columbanus set out with 12 uh, companions. They liked the... They liked the number of 12 companions just to reflect the 12 apostles, um, 12 disciples of Jesus. Um, and so he went... Um, into France with his followers and they went down to a place like really uh, deep in France to the east, like quite close to Switzerland called uh, Luxeuil, L-U-X-E-U-I-L. Uh, and he set up um, a monastery there. Um, but as I was saying, Christianity was already still holding on in, in uh, mainland Europe Um but it, it was a Christianity that was loyal to the Pope in Rome. But the Christianity that had grew up in Ireland was not, it, it didn't, it didn't, it was so far away from Rome. It had no contact really with Rome. It was just a purely like a, maybe a biblical uh, allegiance as opposed to a Roman allegiance. Um it, it didn't owe, it didn't have an allegiance to an organization of the church that maybe the Roman uh, Catholic Church did. It just thought it was Christian and it just wanted to be Christian. It didn't have this allegiance to a Roman uh, church. Okay, um, so what I'm saying, I'm saying this because when Columbanus set up his um, his first monastery in Luxoy, um, perhaps I pronounced that wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, he had trouble with the neighboring uh, monasteries over things like the Irish church had a different date for um, when Easter was, for example. So there were some slight differences. So in the end, um, there were some complications and um, Columbanus and his people were banished. They were put on... Um, 
they were taken by like the local Germanic authorities who were Christianized at this stage. And they were brought to the east west coast of France to a city called Nantes. Uh, and they were put on a boat and they were supposed to be sent back to Ireland. But as destiny would have it, um, the boat actually sank. And so they saw this as a sign that they weren't supposed to leave. <laughs> so they swam back to the coast. And, um, um, and now I'm just thinking as well, when these guys went on their, on their mission, what they did was they, they hung books from their belt, probably as many as they could. I don't know how many they would have been able to take, but they would have taken leather bound books. And these books were written on uh, parchment, which is, you know, as I explained before, it's animal skin. Um, And they, you know, to go into, I didn't actually explain what the inks were, how the inks, as I said, that's another episode. (laughs) But um, so different materials were used for different colors, different inks and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm just thinking now because perhaps they fell into the sea at some stage. And I wonder, did the water, uh, maybe if it, if it was paper, sure, the books are probably done, but this parchment was probably a lot more durable. Um, so anyway, these leather bound books were attached to their belts. So they came on their missions with lots of books, classical texts, uh, armed <laughs> all around them. Um, so anyway, so then Columbanus and his followers we're going to go down towards um, Italy. And uh, on the way, they were going through Switzerland. And one of the one of his 12 followers or helpers was was this guy called St. Gaul that I mentioned. And it was in Switzerland where the guy St. Gaul, he became kind of sick and he wasn't able to go on and follow the rest. So he told them to go on. And um, he stayed there himself and he set up a hermitage, um, which is like an uh, like a solitary um, base, let's say. And eventually he set up a, a monastery. And he got some followers there. And then eventually, generations later, that became this big um, monastery and now famous library where that the book that I'm going to do my next episode, or maybe it's not going to be the next, but a future episode on, that's where this book was found. And that's why this guy, St. Gaul, ended up in Switzerland, because he was a missionary uh, bringing Christianity and classical learning back into the mainland. Um, But as as I said, a lot of these books had been lost when the Germanic peoples uh, invaded. Um, And here as well, I can stop for a minute and I didn't say this already, but um, the Germanic peoples had an oral culture. And like this is why they would have burned books and things like this. They didn't appreciate them. They didn't know what they were. They were illiterate. They hadn't been taught the art of grammar. They hadn't been taught how to read, read or write. So um, there's a funny, in this book I mentioned before, uh, How the Irish Saved Civilization, there's a funny little story um, <laughs> about um, the difference between the oral culture and the literate culture of the Romans. Um, If you imagine, like, maybe before all these attacks happened, um, the Germanic peoples maybe were meeting and trading, probably, with the Romans at the borders. And maybe one day, one of them noticed one of the Romans' books, and they would have somehow communicated, maybe, you know, they might have learned a bit of each other's language if they're trading and stuff. Um, so the um, 
the Germ the Germans asked, what is this strange object you have here with all these little squiggles on it and these interesting colors and all this kind of stuff, perhaps. Um, and the, the Romans uh, explained that, oh, we have this thing called grammar um, and grammar is the art of of reading and writing and so we can look at these things and we can read and we can learn from these lines and then we are you know we know more things and it helps us and um yes it's very beneficial and so the germans were like wow like this is you know if you, it's a new thing to them so they didn't get it but it was it seemed just really amazing to them so what happened was the Germans who were, let's just say, on that day, they went back to the amongst amongst their own people and they were, <laughs> you know, sitting around the campfire at night or whatever. And they were explaining what happened that day. And they were saying, we, we spoke to the Romans and um, they, uh, they they showed us this strange uh, thing they, they call a book and it's like it's like magic. It's like they're able to look at these little squiggles on this page and they're able to like they're able to like uh, read what these things, and coincidentally, apparently the German for reading, um, I think it's Redung, is actually, it means to guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the um, so the the Germans were explaining um, that that this was to them it was like magical that the that the Romans could look at these squiggles and actually understand them and actually get some kind of benefit from them. So to the Germans, this art of reading was just like magic. It was like, you know, spellbinding or something for them. Um, and they explained to the other Germans that the, um, the Romans were able to do this because they had glamour. So, so you see, it was like a mispronunciation of grammar. And so originally the word glamour if you look it up now, it means like spellbinding or enchanting or kind of magical. Now we think of glamorousness is like, you know, some Hollywood actress or something on the, on, you know, the red carpet in her lovely dress or whatever. And we would say she's glamorous, but that's because she looks so graceful that she's like enchanting. It's like magical. Um, so originally the word glamour um, is the Germanic interpretation of this very strange art of reading and writing. Uh, grammar became glamour. Um, so that was a quite interesting little anecdote. And also, I guess I should say as well, um, maybe this is for a later episode, but it's just interesting because um, it's quite interesting, the, the English language. So if these Germanic peoples, I'm saying... This is the etymology. This is the original story of that word glamour. So why is it that um, a word that was misinterpreted by Germans has now found its way into the English language? And that's because, as I said, the Roman Empire collapsed in what is now England. And then the Angles and Saxons, tribes from Northern Europe, uh, sailed over to England and colonized England. Um, they, were, they, were the, they were the Ingles, I think it was, and the Saxons and the Jutes. Apparently less is known about the Jutes. But anyway, so these people, the Anglo-Saxons, this is where the word England comes from because the Angles, Anglo-Saxons, it eventually just became known as Ingleland. 
And so what happened was, so then the territory of England was now Germanic speaking. And then um, years later, when the Normans, who were Vikings from Scandinavia, they conquered the northern coast of, um, they were Vikings who attacked the northern coast of France. They were they were repeatedly doing that until eventually uh, the king of that area of France said, you know what, how about this? How about you stop attacking us and we just give you some land? Uh, and then the Vikings said, okay, yeah, that works for us because that acted as like a buffer zone between um, France and other Vikings invading because if Vikings lived in the north of France, Vikings aren't going to attack other Vikings. So, so so then that area became known, known as Normandy. And then sometime later, um, the Normans went and conquered England. And England was a Germanic-speaking place. Um, and then when the Normans conquered England, um, the ruling class was French-speaking because the Vikings acquired the French language. So then this, is, this, this little aside is about the history of the English language. Um, so then... So then the two languages over centuries mixed together. Um, some of them were speaking French, some of them were speaking Germanic, and then they had to communicate with each other. So words were learned on both sides, blah, blah, blah. So, so this is why I'm saying that what happened in Germany back then, that word glamour, that's how it found its way into the English language because it was just, it just continued um, in usage. And so, yeah, that's just an interesting little history of the English language as well. That's why if you, you know, if you hear some French, you'll notice words in French that are exactly the same as uh, in the English word, like surprise in French is surprise. So there's just lots of words that are the exact same. And, and, and from the Germanic side, it's the same as well. There's lots of words that are the same, like light in German is leaked. You actually do say the G-H-T. Um, but in English, it's light. So, but but you keep the original Germanic spelling to show where it came from. Um, anyway, that was just a little his <laughs> a little aside on the um, the history of the English language um, and also the little grammar glamour uh, aside. Yeah, just thought they were interesting little things. Anyway, so um, so where am I now? So I was. Yeah, Columbanus had gone into the mainland and he was passing through Switzerland and then Gaul got left behind and then later on he established this um, monastery and that's where the book was found in the year 1414 that I'm going to do a future episode on. Just take another drink. <laughs> and um, there is also, uh, just before I uh, round it off, um, there's this, uh, a, an interesting term for what I'm describing here. Um, in Christian uh, culture, the first um, Christian to die for being a Christian, um, it's St. Stephen. Uh, he was the first Christian martyr. Um, and that was known as, in, in Ireland anyway, maybe outside as well, but when Christianity came to Ireland, that was known as... Uh, or maybe this was uh, later called this, but um, dying for your faith was termed as a red martyr, red for blood, obviously. And then you had, in, in Ireland, when the Christianity came there, you had certain Christians 
went for a very hardcore version of Christianity. They were like hermits and they were they were taking influence from um, this group of hermits early, the first Christian hermits. They're known as the Desert Fathers. Uh, St. Anthony is, is the, one of the first. Um, it's just a really intense, um, like, complete, like... Uh, shunning of the world and worldly affairs and you just want to read the bible and get in touch with god as best you can um and this kind of a um ascetic asceticism another word for kind of like the hermits um and that actually this word ascetic actually comes from the greek word for training uh which is ascesis i think it is um because that's what these hermits are doing. They're training <laughs> themselves. Um, anyway, so this, this kind of, um, this kind of uh, like leaving the world and just going to kind of understand God and understand yourself uh, was termed the green martyrdom. And then uh, um, someone like Colum Kill or someone like Columbanus who left the comfort of their world to go out on the, the dangerous perilous mission of spreading um, Christianity and classical culture, uh, that was termed a white martyr martyrdom. Um, because a lot of them would have left Ireland and never come back, but they did great things. Um, when a lot of them did do, were able to do a lot of great things. So basically, just to kind of get back to it now. Um, yeah, so as I said, this this was the first wave of a renaissance in Europe because, as I said, a lot of the books um, were were lost in the mainland of Europe, and also a lot of the schools had stopped because there was no funding. So when these missionaries from Ireland came, they brought those books that had been lost, and they also set up monasteries, which were like schools for uh, the classical learning and for uh, Christianity also. So it just really reinvigorated the intellectual life of, of Europe, of the continent. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's, I mean, there's loads. There's um, in the book here, there's just so many places in mainland Europe um, where Irish monks went, Irish missionaries went. Um, there's just loads. There's some in Paris, there's uh, someone in Ghent. There's someone in Liège. There's also um, Saint Rumbold. Is I'm I'm living in Antwerp, and um, there's um, Saint Rumbold. He he went to Mechelen, which is not so far from me. Um, I was actually in that cathedral. Um, he set up a like an abbey or a monastery there first, and later on there's a massive cathedral. I was there actually just a weekend or two ago. It's amazing. But um, yeah, there's a massive list of all these different uh, monks from Ireland who went and set up monasteries, which, um, which um, as I'm saying, kind of like uh, reinvigorated the intellectual life, life of Europe because the Roman society was based on the intellectual life by reading philosophical texts and all this kind of stuff. And then that was all lost, more or less, it was it clung on it hung on in small places small areas um but also i should say as well um when christianity was flourishing in ireland and i was sending out all of these monasteries a lot of the 
kings or anyone who could afford to get, make their way to Ireland during that early medieval period, they went to Ireland to get a good education. Because as I said, there wasn't the funding going on off in, in most places to keep a school going. And because Ireland was, <laughs> although I did mention the inter-monastic wars, it was a relatively, it must have had more peace and more stability, must have been more developed than other places in Europe for people to go there. Um, even um, King Alfred of, uh, of, was it Wessex in England? He, even he went to Ireland to get an education um, and he has good reports of it. Um, another, I should say as well, another um, source that I was rereading for this episode is in a book of, of uh, it's a collection of writings that James Joyce um, wrote in his life, like newspaper articles or reviews on books or um, or. He did, um, when he was living in Italy, he was asked to give some lectures on different subjects. And one of the lectures was on Ireland, the, the land of saints and sages, um, because that's a phrase that is maybe some people have heard of it, heard it, heard of it. But um, and if you hear that phrase, Ireland, the land of saints and scholars or the land of saints and sages, it is about this period that I'm uh, talking about in this episode. It was like the golden age of Christianity in Ireland. It was Ireland's like uh, intellectual golden age. <laughs> um, um, so um, what else can I say? Put these books away. Um, yeah, so, um, so then... After Ireland had done this for generations, and as, as I was saying, yeah, people from Europe went to Ireland as an intellectual centre to come back and then they were educated and then they can contribute to their society better after they got their education. Um, so unfortunately, um, this golden age of the intellectualism of Ireland started to fall into decline itself when the Vikings started arriving uh, to Ireland and they were just um, pillaging all of the um, the monasteries because the monasteries would have had relics and those relics would have been kept in very ornate boxes that were made of like silver and gold and <clears throat> would have had jewels on them and maybe even ivory, you know, just very nice expensive objects. So the monasteries were attacked um, a lot um, and they were attacked so often that eventually it just, this, the whole missionary culture from Ireland just had to stop because it was under too much pressure itself, like mainland Europe was some centuries before. But the point of the story is it's like Ireland had done enough. They had done enough. They had they had established Christianity in Scotland. They had reestablished Christianity in um, in England through Lindisfarne, which was set up by Saint Aidan. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then they went back into Europe and they set up schools and they increased uh, education in in Europe. Um, and yeah, so as I'm saying, this whole episode is about how it was Christian missionaries from Ireland who were the first wave of 
a renaissance in in Europe. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a pretty, I would, I don't know, I, I think it is a little known period of history. And without those efforts, without that reintroduction of those texts and things like that, a lot of those texts would have been lost. Um, and this um, kind of improvement of the intellectual uh, environment of, of Europe gave way to later renaissances, uh, laid the groundwork for them. For example, the Carolingian Renaissance, that's another renaissance that happened before the Italian Renaissance. And that's worth another episode in itself, um, which I think I will probably do because it's just an interesting subject. Um and uh, yeah, let me just have a quick look at my notes here. Um, I basically did this one from the top of my head. I'll just have a quick look to see if um, there's some things. Yeah, there's some things I left out. Um, should I go back into them? Um the only thing here, actually, I've kind of left out was the fact that or did I mention it already? Um, about in Ireland, for example, when I was talking about what kind of culture was going on in Ireland before Christianity came, um, I'll um, I'll introduce it this way because years ago, when I was about twenty three, I was living in Dublin, and I went to the Viking Museum um, in Dublin near. Christchurch, I think it is. And there was a model of what Dublin city, Dublin was originally a Viking settlement. Um, Duv, Dublin, Duvlin, coming from the Irish Duvlin, meaning Blackpool. There was obviously a Blackpool there and the Vikings settled there. But um, in this museum, there was like a little model of what maybe a Viking settlement looked like. And there was you know, there was a little audio guide you could press and it was in two languages. Maybe it was in other languages, but I recall it being in English and Irish. And I remember when I was at that little model, the other side of the model, there was a Arabic speaking um, couple. And I noticed that they were listening to the Irish version of the audio. And I got the kind of vibe. I got I got the impression that the guy seemed to be kind of suggesting that it's similar to his own language. Um, that I was like 23 and I just, I don't think I had read this book at that time. But anyway, um, it turns out that philologists, people who study languages, um, philologists have found a lot of similarities between um, the Phoenician language and Irish. And the Phoenicians were very early ancient um they were like masters of the sea so they sailed everywhere they were would have been in like northern africa and i think even all around the mediterranean like around um you know syria and lebanon all those kind of places as well so they all around the kind of the lip of the of the the edge of the mediterranean um and yeah that's just uh an interesting um connection that was in um that was in the joyce lecture um, and also, I see here as well the word Hibernia. I said that um, Ireland was never conquered by the Romans, but the Romans had a name for Ireland and they called it Hibernia. And that means land of winter. <laughs> Maybe they just thought it was too cold there, so they never bothered to go there. Um, 
I think I can um, just about round it up now to have a quick glance here. Um, yeah, so so there you are. Um, if you didn't know, um, this was an essential episode in yeah in the history of the Western world for re-establishing civilization as as uh, uh, what we might call civilization. Oh yes, this is another thing I was going to talk about. Just simply the word barbarians. The Germanic peoples were called barbarians. I like this word barbarian. It's coming from, it originates in Greece, in ancient Greece. And it refers to anyone who simply doesn't speak the Greek language. Um, yeah, it's a pejorative term. It's kind of a mocking term because it's actually, it's like, you know, in the culture of ancient Rome, they had the art of rhetoric which is all about composed speech, uh, clear speech. You know, they had the art of um, logic and grammar, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um, I'm just thinking about this word bar barbarian. Like it was a mocking term for people who maybe sound like they, they're not as composed as a Greek is. And maybe they're kind of stuttering when they're speaking. So they're kind of like, uh, that's why the word barbarian is a repeat bar. Barian. It's a repeat of of uh, one syllable, like bar and bar, um, like an an uncomposed person. So as you can imagine, it's just a just a pejorative term that got caught on. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's very dismissive because once again, it would be another whole episode, if not many episodes, to look into what was the culture of these so-called barbarians. Uh, it's just such a dismissive term. Um, but for example, like in Scandinavia, you have within their mythology, you have Odin. And Odin is always represented with having two ravens, one on each shoulder. And one raven is uh, stands for thought, like the ability to think. And then the other one stands for memory, um, so like, that's quite philosophical. <laughs> it's, it does, it's, it's quite, yeah, it's, it's quite thoughtful. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, thought of the word barbarian there just to give the kind of etymology and a little commentary on it. It's very dismissive, but, um, anyway, um, that's, that's about it for this episode. I think, let me see how long did I go on for now? Possibly a bit longer than I thought it was going to go on for. Oh yeah, I oh, don't know, not so bad. One hour and thirteen minutes. Um, so there you are. Um, that's that's how the Irish saved civilization. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, it's a very for for me in this podcast series. Um, as I said, I was going to do an episode on a different book. Um, and then in the research for that book, I was reminded of this episode of history. And then I was like, you know what? That's so relevant. If I'm interested in talking about uh, the classics and what civilization consists of, um, this period in history is totally relevant. It's essential to the whole story, actually. Um, and yeah, these Irish missionaries brought back into Europe books that would have been otherwise lost Um so, so yeah, uh, hope it was interesting. I don't think I need to say anything else about it now. I can just leave it at that. Um, so yeah, there it is. Um, Cassiodorus, 
the late Roman, um, early middle, early uh, medieval times, uh, Roman statesman introduced um, the uh, what do you call it um, pagan texts into the monastic culture, and that saved. That spread to Ireland, and then when everything else fell in Europe, Ireland was able to um, bring those things that had been saved because of the monasteries back into Europe. And and there you are. That's the first wave of a renaissance in Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. After the decline of the Roman Empire. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Hope that was interesting. Um, if you want to know more, check out that book, How the Irish Saved Civilization by Thomas Cahill, or check out the James Joyce lecture in the book of occasional critical and political writings by James Joyce. That's really an, ama an amazing book. It's so cool to hear what he has to say on all those topics in that, in that book. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, I felt that was a necessary episode and I'm glad I got it done now. So talk talk next time talk at you next time <laughs> feel free to give back any uh feedback that i would love to uh get some okay hope you enjoyed it until next time